Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, audience and listeners. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing podcast. Today, I have KK Singh. KK Singh is a, is a big figure in our social media circle, especially in the multifamily and multifamily syndication. KK is uh, used to be a Microsoft certified system engineer. I like to call it MCSE because uh, it's a pretty uh, well-known designation for you know system engineers on the uh, Microsoft world. And KK has also owned multiple business, uh, including gas station, convenience stores, a laundromat, and also he started uh, real estate with uh, 40 single-family residential uh, in Indiana and. Currently, he's an investor in almost uh, 3,000 units as a LP, and in some of it, he's a GP across uh, and all uh, states in the U.S. And uh, he also have done uh, agriculture, commercial, and, and uh, residential property in India, and also, you know, uh, business experience, you know, almost uh, 10 to 19 years in, in, uh, uh, in U.S., and also is also looking for expansion opportunity. Hey, KK, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much, James, for having me on your show. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So, KK, uh, let's get started with our show. I mean, um, I mean, I got to know you like uh, what almost two years now, right? So you've been yep. doing uh, uh, very well in terms of uh, you know uh, multifamily investing. Now, especially on you started as a passive and now you're going more into the GP, right? But I want to go before that, right? So um, you are on a later part of your cycle and you did a lot of different, different businesses, right? Laundromat, uh, gas station, convenience stores. And uh, so I want to go into that businesses before we go into multifamily. And then after that, I want to compare that businesses to multifamily and why did you, you know, at this stage of your life, why did you want to do multifamily? Because, you know, there's a lot of people who want to really learn uh, these different different businesses. Like I always wonder how gas station work. I always wonder how convenience stores work. How does a laundromat work? And do they really make more money than what I'm doing right now in multifamily? So you are the best person to really tell us and our audience what are the different different uh, aspects of this business. So let's start with, I mean, your own gas station, convenience store, and laundromat. So tell us about these three businesses, you know, I mean, uh, you know, how does the business work, how much people make, you know, and, and what are the, even even in that businesses, what are the value add that you always see that uh, is very powerful? Well, I came to United States as a, as you said, Microsoft certified system engineer, and I lost my job after 9-11. Hmm. And uh, I had, and it was just about six months uh, before I came. So I had a job for about six months and I lost my job and my friends were in the gas station business in Indianapolis and they offered me a partnership in the business and they asked me to come and join their business. And so I decided since I had no option, so I decided to join their business as a partner. Uh, it was a gas station uh, in Indianapolis. 
So I started managing that. I automated their, put it up because all everything they were doing on papers with pen and paper. So I was a computer professional. So I did everything into computers. And uh, soon we lost the lease because uh, the owner did not renew the lease on that property. So I, I had learned the business because I had it for, uh, about a year. So I bought a gas station here in Fort Wayne after about a year and a half since I came to United States. Got it. So, so before we go to the other business, how does a gas station make money? Well, the gas station owners make money mostly on the inside sales. They don't make money on the gas. Oh, you don't make money on the gas. That you don't make money on the gas, and most of the money is made on the convenience store side. Hmm. So, uh, with the with first, I bought one gas station, and soon I had other people join me buying gas stations here. I was the first Punjabi to buy a gas station here in here in Fort Wayne, and uh, soon I brought some of my friends, my relatives, to buy gas stations here. So we formed a group, and and we started buying in bulk and uh, that way we made more money we got more rebates we got more kickbacks uh, right. since we we were buying in bulk so the rebate and discounts that you get that's on the fuel top, fuel price right no on the inside sales mostly on the inside on the, sales yeah so but when so why does every gas station have different pricing in terms of fuel because uh, you have the right to price your own gas, whatever you want to. Some people like to make five cents. Some people like to make three cents. Some people like to lose money on gas. Got it. Got it. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, we, we always wonder. I mean, I'm sure I thought every gas station owner, you know, trying to make some profit because every gas station have different pricing. Do they try to take a bet on making more money by increasing the gas price slightly? I'm, I'm sure it's the elasticity in terms of customer demand versus the gas price, right? Well, the street price is uh, who rules the gas prices, the street pricing. So some people like to bring the customers in by losing money on the gas oh, God. or making less profit on the gas and, and they they want to bring the customers to their lot and, and then bring them inside to the convenience store where they can make 35% instead of pennies. Got it, got it, interesting. I thought there will be some money being made on the gas, but looks like what you're saying is if it's so little money, you may not make money or you lose Most money. No money because 90% people these days use credit cards and then on top of that, you end up paying credit card fee as well. Oh, so you have to pay. So, but the convenience store, is the price inside the convenience store slightly higher than what you get from Walmart or Walgreens or CVS? Yes, yes. Okay. So that's, that's, why, the, that's why they're called convenience stores because they are for convenience. <laughs> they, yeah. So it's convenience. A, yeah. They have to pay for the convenience. Yeah, which yeah. makes sense, right? I mean, I'm giving you space and uh, the gas for almost all on my cost, right? And now you come and pay a bit more on the convenience store. Probably people don't care because it's convenient for them, right? That's absolutely right. That's, that makes a lot of sense now because I always wonder this, right? So does the gas station business being impacted with, with some of the electric cars that's being uh, popular nowadays? Well, we never made money on the gas anyways. So, <laughs> okay. 
So it, it, I don't think it's going to affect people still going to buy their food and drinks and chips and candy and, and uh, the cigarettes. Mm. So they do still come to, I, I own an electric car myself, but still I stop at gas stations to, to buy things, buy coffee, buy candy, buy something. Got it, got it. I think the the location of it is much, much convenient, right? I think that's how, like, even Bucky's, right? I'm not sure whether you know Bucky's in Texas. They're very big. They have a lot of gas station, like 100 gas station outside, and it's a big convenience store, right? So, yep, yep. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's like a big, slightly more expensive uh, because it's very convenient, right? Uh, Correct. Okay, great. So what about a, a laundromat? How does that work? Well, I had this lot sitting by my gas station for a long time. It was a vacant lot. And I, I, I thought of buying it and utilizing it. And this, this neighborhood needed a laundromat. There was a, a little, like a block away from my gas station, there was a laundromat, which was an old beaten up laundromat. It was like a 20 years old machines. So I thought that I can utilize this property and uh, I did some creativity in uh, buying that lot at a very low price. And uh, I built a laundromat from ground up uh, with the best machines that become bigger machines. So immediately after I opened that laundromat, the other one closed because it was <laughs> old. Nobody wanted to go there. So... Uh, and laundromat is a good business too, because you don't need you don't need uh, employees, so it's unattended. So I have a girl that comes in the evening and cleans up, and somebody will go from the gas station and clean up, or if there is any problem. So uh, this is kind of a passive income. So you still have the laundromat until now? Yes, I do, and we are building another one. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So is this a machine uh, with a Speed Queen? No, Dexter machines. That's so. Okay, okay. Dexter, we have bigger machines like 90 pounders, 60 pounders, 50 pounders. Yeah. Got it, got it. I mean, the reason I asked about Speed Queen, because in my properties, I probably own a laundromat as well, but indirectly, right? In all our apartments, I think 90% of our apartments, we own our own machines. So, you know, we, we like to buy, uh, you know, new machines. But this is for residential, so it may not and be... And Spin Green is good too. Okay, okay. But Dexter is good for laundromats, commercial, and mm-hmm. it's it's very simple to operate. And, and it's, it's a sturdy machine as well. Got it. And uh, have you ever tried to sell this uh, gas station and the laundromat? No. Okay, so you're keeping it for passive no, income. I have I have a system in place, and they are on automatic, uh, automatic autopilot. I mean, so because I have partners in all my gas stations, they run the gas stations, and and I stay home. Okay, good. <laughs> That's true passive income, right? So, yeah. No, the reason I asked you whether if you sold because I want to know how these businesses are being valued. No, I have never sold any gas station. I have always bought gas stations. And okay. I would still buy a gas station if I have to or get a good deal. So if it's passive income, why not you buy nationwide? No, it's not passive income. It's okay. not. It's passive income for me because I have my fa- friends and family as partners who run okay. the businesses for me. It's not okay. passive income. And, and I, I don't 
uh, people call me all the time and ask me if they can buy a gas station and rent it out and make more money than single family or real estate. No, it's not business. It's not like that. So it's not as passive as uh, what I'm trying to say. It's, it's not at all passive. It's just autopilot for me because I've done this for so many years and I have brought in partners and, and some of them were my even my employees okay, that I have it. partnered with. Got it, got it. So they are the one who's active and you are investing money and for you it's passive. So it's not really passive income, but because you are a silent partner, you get passive right. income, I guess. Okay, Correct. Right. So after that, how did you buy 40 single family residential? Well, uh, I met, uh, if he, the seller was from our community. He met me at the church and he said, I want to sell my property that, that he had for several years. And I, I told him that I know somebody in Indianapolis that I can refer to. And he said, no, I want to sell them to you. And I said, no, I have never done this. And I'm not again, going to get into a rent business, toilet and all, all that kind of stuff. He said, I will give you a good deal and I will teach you for a year how to do it. So that attracted me. And uh, I came home uh, and talked to my nephew. And we and I, at that time, I didn't even know what cap rate is. So uh, I talked to my nephew. We calculated. We didn't get any financials or anything from him. And uh, we were comparing. I went online to the uh, city website and checked the prices compared to what he was offering us. So I liked the pricing and everything. I said, yes. The next, very next day, I said, yes, we'll buy your uh, houses. And we went ahead and bought. We never hired an attorney. We, we, we just wrote a purchase agreement on my computer, and, and we bought those 40 single-family houses. And then he, he started helping me, but he had done this for about 40 years now. So, But he was all old school. Everything was on pen and paper. I didn't like that idea. So I had a lot of other stuff going on. I said, no, I would, I would do it myself. So I, I bought some books. I went online, did some research, and started managing myself. And I still manage those 40 single families myself. That's uh, that's very uh, inspiring story, right? Because where you go in from zero to nothing, I mean, to, to learning about how to operate 40 single family residential. So how did you learn to you know to make that business in single family residential from you know the guy who's selling you he's old school right so yes now you are microsoft certified uh, system engineer you are going to think on how to put everything into computer what was the first website or resource that you used to start managing this 40 single family residential well first of all i started researching about the property management software and I did some research on the property management softwares, and I found buildium.com the best software for my purpose. And uh, the pricing was good, the features were good, and uh, I signed up for a demo. I took a demo and liked it, and I moved all my properties to Buildium. Got it. I use Buildium as well for my single-family residential. I mean, even though I only own like two right now, but we we went through a few iteration of property management software for single-family and then settled on Buildium, which is which is pretty good for 
yep. for the single family, uh, single family. Yep. rental management. Got it. Got Correct. It. Correct. So you are in Indiana, right? So uh, have you ever thought about uh, you know looking other places for real estate, or you just uh, you wanted to do that? No, I do my multifamily all almost. Uh, I have one in, in Indianapolis, and all others are out of Indiana. Got it. Got it. So, so right now I'm doing the tenth deal as a general partner, uh, and I did seven deals as a passive investor. So all of them, but one is uh, in Indiana, and all of them are out of Indiana. Okay, got it. So I want to go to that transition where you know you were doing laundromat, gas station, and forty single family residential. So where, how did you get introduced to multifamily apartments? Well, we, uh, when I bought these single family houses, and I, I went online to, I started researching on bigger pockets and read some books, and I realized that it's not scalable, and especially there's no tax advantage. That's why we bought these properties. We thought, oh, we can save money on tax because we were paying a lot of tax. We had a lot of cash flow from the gas stations. So we were paying a lot of tax. But with buying single family, we ended up paying more tax because we made more money. So I thought, no, we were here to save on taxes. So this is not the way to do it. So I, I started researching and finally I decided, learned about the syndication process and uh, cost segregation, how people save money on the tax. So we started, uh, and I actually started investing passively and never thought I'm going to be active investor at that time because uh, I had so much going on and I have like 15 companies. So uh, I thought, okay, I'm keep doing it, um, but I'll keep investing my money passively and get K1 losses and wash off my other passive incomes. That was my original plan. But when I started learning about multifamily and I learned that I have so much passion about multifamily, so why not do it actively? Yeah. No. So I want to go through the, the your thought process here. So, at what uh, what year was it that you discovered multifamily? Two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen, which is uh, which is like what four years four ago. Year, four years ago. And uh, you said syndication, right? So, even when you introduced to multifamily, did you look at buying a multifamily without syndication? Yes, we did. We did four times. So you and did what... buy some multifamily without syndication. No, we didn't buy any. Oh, you didn't because, buy Because we were thinking of buying the same way we bought these houses. Got it. So we didn't even know how to uh, do underwriting, how to calculate the profit and loss. Uh, so we thought, okay, we bought these houses for so much. And these are like just two room, one bedroom apartments. So they should be half the price of the houses. <laughs> so that's how we started. And we offered four LOIs. First, we started with the 32 unit and we went all the way to 96 units to buy. But every time we were overbid by others and we didn't know that we have to do underwriting and all that stuff that I realized after giving four LOIs that we know this is not the way to do it. We need to start underwriting and they're gonna, they are not priced as the houses are. 
they are they are priced on based on the net operating income I, then i started learning all that in 2015 and uh, and I, as i was learning i was investing passively as well got so it got I, it I, I, i still kept investing and and a couple of my partners started investing along with me too so we invested all over the nation in first 3 years 15 16 17 and in 18 i decided to go at it got it got it why you didn't from single family when you were thinking of buying the large multi family which is like 40 50 you know 90 units right why you didn't look at duplexes triplexes and fourplexes oh i thought uh, duplex triplex is the same thing as single family because we were, we had the money we had the resources we could get the loan we had the net worth so we thought we can buy 30 40 units we were we never thought of buying smaller property okay so you wanted to go big uh, because big. you you think you can do it it's just that you didn't have the knowledge on how do people underwrite this uh, commercial yeah. properties right commercial that business. i learned that i learned soon uh, after <laughs> being overbid in four of those uh, lois that we did present so i i decided to learn and then i learned a lot and i attended several boot camps and and took some courses read a lot of books listened to a lot of podcasts so actually i had a passion for it so i was spending like 5 6 hours a day maybe even more maybe 8 hours a day just learning about multifamily for 6 right. months i did i never slept before midnight for 6 months for 6 months you didn't sleep before midnight because you were so wowed with this multifamily yes that's when okay. i was i was learning about it listening to podcast every night i would listen to podcast read something about so i i spent a lot of time learning this process and 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 you said multifamily was more interesting compared to like you know buying more gas station laundry mat and uh, a single family because of the tax advantage right that's what you're yes. saying so you yes, need something what... to offset your passive uh, business uh, i mean active business income i guess well i had a lot of passive income as well uh, because i was not active in all the gas stations i was uh, passive in some gas stations and we own real estates of uh, several gas stations and, and those llc owned properties and so we, our operating companies were paying rent to the real estate company so that was my passive income as well oh got it got it that's a interesting strategy there so why not you buy like a strip mall or warehouse or industrial warehouse or self storage i don't like anything else but multi cam why did you look at that asset classes yes i did look at it's on my uh, criteria as well the second thing i would ever buy would be storing units or uh, the mobile parks but i would never go to commercial or anything because i know people need at least a roof to live somewhere okay got it so you think so, there's a definite need for a residential yeah because because of the technology you never know the, you see these strip malls commercial buildings closing industries moving to mexico china india and all those countries but they can move apartments to china <laughs> that's right that's right that's so they right. have to live here so that's the yeah. only i get a lot of other offers but i am very very strictly multi family person yeah yeah so let me give some education to the listeners so uh, what kk was talking about is uh, the tax advantage that you get in multi family 
uh, especially with something called a depreciation, which is a paper loss, which offset, uh, which shows your income, even though you're making cash flow from uh, positive cash flow from your operation in apartments, uh, you know, you know, depreciation is going to be more. Most of the time, it's going to be more than your cash flow, which means you are. It shows as a, you're losing money, which means you you probably don't pay any tax on your cash flow, right? Uh, and sometimes you, it, you know, net cash flow minus depreciation do come out positive, but the amount will be low because now you have depreciation. And in single family residential houses, you still do have depreciation, but it's divided by 27.5. But in commercial, which is apartment, you know, rather than doing divide by 27.5, you can still do 27.5, but you can also do something called cost segregation, which means they segregate each part of the building on commercial into five years, seven years, 15 years, and 27.5 years, right? They separate the windows to seven years. I, I do not know what exactly is the schedule, but for example, windows to seven years, the driveway to 15 years, the uh, flooring to five years. And what they do is they said all these 15 years, uh, all five years, everything is segregated and all this depreciation is accelerated in the first five to seven years and 15 years. And even the first five years is like 30% of total depreciation. So, so the number of the amount of depreciation you get in apartments is like, you know, it can be huge because of this cost segregation, right? And now with the, uh, with the tax law that we have in 2017, from 2017 to 2023, you have something called bonus depreciation, which means you are going to take all the 15-year schedule of depreciation, you're going to depreciate it on the first year, which used to be only available for new development, right? Which makes sense, right? New developments, everything done, you depreciate 15 years into it. But now the new uh, tax law have given um, leverage for the properties that has been already been built. But this um, advantage only available until 2023. And after that, it start reducing to 50%. Instead of 100% depreciation, become 50% and, and it depreciate less, right? And in other uh, commercial real estate, like, you know, uh, like... Um, strip center and warehouses and all that is not depreciated by 27.5 it's depreciated by 39 years so you know you 39 can buy and a half. come again 39 and a half 39 and a half okay that's thanks for clarifying i thought it's 39 so 39 and a half and what happened is you know you get much lower depreciation you they they can do also cost segregation but you know you, you're going to get less number right and uh, it makes perfect sense for apartment because of the Maslow hierarchy of needs as well. Everybody needs a shelter to stay, right? And especially because of those appliances they have, the kitchens, the counters, kitchens, fridge, refrigerator, microwave, and the stove, those things get depreciated in the very first five years, and you can get all that in the very first year. Yes, yes, correct, correct. So, so that's an awesome... Tax uh, strategy in uh, apartments and uh, you know what we call a multi-family apartment. So uh, let's go ahead. So uh, you said you started learning how to value the apartment, and at 2015, you are, you you learned the trick of the trade, right? So yep. why not at that time go and buy apartments? Why did you go passive? Well, at that time, I was still managing the laundromat and one gas station myself. And after about two years, uh, in 17, my son-in-law, my daughter got married in 2015 and her husband came uh, to United States in 2017. I asked him, he was a computer engineer too. I asked him what he wants to do. And he said, I want to be in the business. He owned a gas station in Canada as well. 
so he he migrated from canada so uh, he started doing what i was doing so i i was all, only managing these 40 single family houses and uh, most of my stuff was on autopilot so i had nothing else to do i i decided to go active so that's when i started looking to do a syndication myself okay okay no but my question was like uh, after you learn all the tricks on how to underwrite multi family right uh, why did you still go with uh, passive uh, investment that, that's why that's why because i was busy, busy managing my gas station oh, these got it, got single it. family houses and laundromat myself so oh, was, so now was, your son in law is taking care of that now you okay yep. got it got it got it yep. so now you you have all the time to uh, really be an active uh, sponsor i guess right so correct. correct okay okay how did you make that transition from being a passive to active because that's a day and night scales and uh, you should know that too because you were sitting on my this right hand side and jeff greenberg he was sitting on my left hand side <laughs> and san diego mastermind oh i must have influenced you <laughs> yeah and, and, and something came i i pulled some some of your power and uh, <laughs> jeff offered me to be a general partner on his deal <laughs> oh, that must be my lucky <laughs> yeah so i i said okay i will i will be a general partner i i i raised money for his deal to close so uh, that was my first transition and i was so much motivated by meeting all those people at the mastermind in uh san diego last march when yeah. i did the deal yeah that's very interesting sometimes this mastermind brings uh, you know uh you know it's the proximity is power right you have people right. who are doing it and you know you know that you can do it if you have the right support right and sometimes you know certain words and certain discussions you know can motivate you to progress so it's a very very powerful concept of mastermind sometimes people things that you know you go for mastermind you are wasting time right you're talking talking right but there is always influencers especially in a small settings right compared to going to like this large conferences where you go and just network right this bit is not so contagious but you know in a small group uh, settings can be contagious and and that's good that so you were able to yeah i know when we we were in the mastermind we were talking about you know you are passive and uh, and yep. uh, i didn't know that was the time that you were transitioning you 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 decided to transition to gp <laughs> the same day i did it and and he he emailed all the information and when i was coming from from san diego i was looking at the costar report underwriting and everything on the plane from san diego to chicago all night got it i i have to give credit to myself to <laughs> to influence yes, you too. yeah the credit goes to you too that's good that's good i hope so i mean i'm sure you would have you know, some calling uh, to uh, for you as well but i think uh, yeah i'm happy to help out as well yeah so uh, kk what was your discovery when you from a passive invest i mean you were before let's let's assume that mastermind was the transition period there at that point before that you were a passive investor your mindset is completely different right you just want to invest passively you do not want to do any active role you know maybe it's it's fun it's interesting but you just you know do not want to do it but once you step over into the gp side where you partner with another sponsor right so how do you think your mindset has changed from passive to become an active well my mindset changed back in 2017 
because I had learned so much. I, I was thinking, why don't I put all this knowledge to work? Why I'm just investing passively? But as I told you that when he took over, so I was, com I was completely free and I stayed home and uh, there was not much. And I have so much of my single family management on autopilot that I spend about nine hours a week. So I had nothing else to do. I, and uh, I decided to uh, move on to, and I started looking on deals. Uh, I before my mastermind i i did started looking deals and i i did some uh tours of the properties and i i did give some lois as well and uh i learned the business practically by by doing it uh, then then it was a, i think a miracle happened when you did something at the mastermind that i got a deal and I, I also learned that it is a teamwork. It's not something that I can do myself. Uh, it is a teamwork. So I think that was a great opportunity for me when Jeff offered me that deal. And uh, they, were in, they were very close to the closing. So uh, I raised the money in about three days and became a member of his uh, asset management team where I learned a lot uh, as well. And after that, I, I did uh, one deal with Rod Cleef and Robert in Lexington, Kentucky in May. We closed that in May. And now I am uh, I'm on a general partner on a deal with Viking Capital, uh, 192-unit B-class asset in Marietta, Georgia, north of Atlanta. Got it, got it, got it. So let's assume KK. So now you have moved to become more on the active side, right? Part of the asset management team. Mm -hmm. So if if I split you into two, your best friend is your older KK Singh as the passive investor, and now is the the right on the right side is KK Singh the active investor. What would you turn turn to your passive investor best friend and say? What is what is the what are the advice that you want to give to your KK Singh, a passive investor, on how to invest smartly as a passive investor, since now you know both sides. Well, even, even when I was a passively investing, I was learning continuously because the very first deal, I didn't know much about multifamily. Uh, so I just invested to see how it works. So I just wrote a check to Ivan Barrett for 50000 and uh, I invested in his deal in Dayton, Ohio. And, uh, but after that, uh, I, I realized that I need to learn about the passive as well. And I, I like reading a lot, listening, reading. And so I, I started learning how to invest passively. And I prepared a list of like 42 questions, which I, I was asking. And then I started investing with Joe Fairless in his deals in Dallas. and. I didn't want to put all eggs in the same basket, so I tried some other syndicators, other markets as well, uh, before I uh, finally decided to go active. Got it, got it. So, so can you, out of that 40 questions that you have in your passive investor checklist, and I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do all the 40 questions, but is there any like five to 10 questions you think all passive investors should ask before investing in any deals? I think the most important thing is uh, in this all this syndication process is the operator. So 
I always even tell my investors the same thing that I did myself. I always looked at the operator. Who is the operator? Who is their team? Do they have an office? Do they have a complete setup? Uh, And then uh, do they have a track record? Have they gone through a full cycle? So I always look at that first, as a, even as a passive investor, even as a general partner, I do the same thing. So, and the second thing is the market. What market, uh, what market uh, is the property in? So does that property market has a rent growth, continuous rent growth? Does that market have a continuous population growth? Are the companies moving to that area? Is it is it a bigger like population over two hundred thousand? I, I don't invest in smaller cities, so um, those those are the second things. And then I move on to the property. Is it really a value add property? Every property says value add property. They, sometimes they, <laughs> there's no value add or there's no rent growth. I have seen like people would write 300 rent bump. Do you think the previous owner was dumb? So he was $300 below market. It doesn't happen all the time. So I I prepared a list of questions. I, I learned how to do all the comps, sales comps, rent comps. So, and I educate my investor do the same thing as well. Got it, got it. So you, what you're talking about is operator, the second is the market, third is the deal, which is absolutely the right uh, priority. So let's say for a for a new passive investor, right? How do they find about, you know, before we go there, can you define what an operator is? Well, operator is the guy who finds the deal, brings it under contract, signs the loan or bring the team together or if, he, if they already have the team and uh, then after the closing, they operate, they, they make sure uh, they are performing as per the performer. The property management in place is working, doing a good job, and uh, they, are, they are giving the reports quarterly or monthly, whatever uh, information to the investors, and also paying the investors as promised. Got it, got it, got it. So uh, how can a passive investor know about the operator? I mean, without asking the operator directly, because sometimes I know, you know, right now, sometimes it's hard to know. I mean, let's say a new passive investor come, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, they are very shy to ask a lot of questions because uh, they are worried that they will not get into the deal. But is there any other way that a, a new passive investor can find out about the operator without asking the operator directly? Well, they, they shouldn't be shy. I even ask the operator, if you die, I go that far. If you die, okay. yeah, I mean. That's true, should. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I don't mind if somebody asks me, if you die, where are we going to ask for our preferred return or money? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's obvious if somebody could die in a second. Yep. So there has to be some things in place that if, if somebody dies, who's going to take care? So I think that should be, and, and I have, uploaded those 42 questions on my 10x uh, Facebook group several times. And uh, Rod Cleef has those 42 questions on his website. I think passive investors should uh, download there as well. But I can tell you how people find me because they, they follow me everywhere on social media. 
they they check my profiles and they they listen to my podcast and then they approach me how oh, we know you for a year or two i saw your uh, video or live or podcast so they probably know everything before they come and contact me unless they are referred to me by someone who is already in my investor or my friend so they trust they trust me too got it got it yeah i mean that's true i mean once you are you i'm know, very active on social media so people know what i do <laughs> yes 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 correct 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 so what about market can you tell the audience especially passive investor any specific resources they can go and see before investing on the market i mean i know you said you do not want smaller cities you want big cities but what else they should look for in a market before they even invest even passively right well they they should first of all we talked about the operator and then the market research is very important they they should look at there are so much free uh, services available where city data is one of them they can city go to citydata.net.com dot com okay dot com and they can go there and at least or just write down population and there will be a population of so and so city they'll get so much information and th- there's another world review website that it will uh, automatically pop up under the city data and you can go there research the market sub market and and even the neighborhood got it got it so have you seen any deals that was presented to you as a, i mean when you are a passive investor when you presented to you that you think oh this guy you know he's not he didn't underwrite the deal as conservatively as he's claiming i mean everybody claims they're underwriting is all the time right all it's the like, time it's like a value add right all deals are value add same thing all lead sponsors all our sponsors are saying all their deals are written conservatively we very, fill up very, we fill up quickly right so some some people are very smart to write their oms <laughs> and they will write, write it in such a way that uh, that a passive investor who is not very literate about the multifamily uh, and they if they don't have time to do their own research they can tell in that net very easily because they are written so smartly so they don't understand and they don't spend much time either yeah can you give us a few example where you are able to caught some you know i would say um, you know i would say you know the biggest one is true. the bombs is the comps okay comps and the second thing is the rent growth sometimes they'll write 3 3% rent growth and they will say oh it's very very conservative we written and i i i have been managing these houses since 2014 i have never seen 3 the 3% going up every year i mean there has to be some year when it's going to be down it, it might go up to 3% again but all 5 or 7 years or 10 years whatever the whole time is they don't go up all the time and right. and another thing is the vacancy there will a lot of times they will write the vacancy or oh, we can we can have it 95% occupied but when the when you look at the costar report or other resources the market market occupancy is at 90% so how can you do it 95% if the market is at 90% so Got some it. of those assumptions they make are sometimes very aggressive got it got it 
So you say RANCOM and you also talk, talked about the comms, right? So are you talking about uh, the RANCOM that they are projecting? RANCOMs, RANCOMs. They are projecting, because sometimes I have seen on the OMs, they are not comparing apples to apples. They're comparing one bedroom to three bedroom. <laughs> and then they say, they'll say, oh, there is a $315 rent bump. You're not comparing apples to apples. Do you think they make a mistake or they just... Uh... They intentionally do it. And, okay. And, okay. And, and nobody can challenge that either because they don't... They, they say nothing there that it is three bedroom compared to one bedroom. Um. So that OM doesn't say that we are comparing one bedroom. It's just going to say that apartment has this rent and this apartment has this rent. And they'll show you that there is a $300 bump and, and which is not true. So far, I have never seen a bump of more than $150. Ah, oh, even $150 is difficult to get, right? I mean, so. No more than $150. I have seen up to $150, and which is also, as you said, by renovating, adding like five, dollars $6,000 to the unit, you might be able to raise the rent by $100 or $150 maximum. Got it. Got it. Very interesting. So was there any aha moment as a, as a active sponsor, as an active, active person more on the GP side now that you think um, like in the past six to eight months that you think, oh, I've learned something new about multifamily. Can you share it with the audience? I always learn every day. Every day I get some new experiences. I learn new things from sometimes even from people who know nothing about nothing about multifamily, but sometimes they teach you good. And I am very motivational and I am motivated myself. I try to motivate my uh, members in my 10X group as well. But every day you learn in this business, every day you learn some, some things new. Got it, got it. So you have been pretty successful in, uh, you know, in investing into multifamily and now you're going to more into the GP, right? So what do you think is the most three, I would say, secret sauce to your success? Uh, first of all, and I, I would also suggest to your audience, which I didn't do, but I didn't have to pay the price, but somebody might end up paying the price. I would say invest in yourself. That means learn the process yourself before you invest in any real estate. It could be single family, multifamily, any kind of real estate. Do your homework first. And don't, don't be scared to spend some money on yourself. Your personal development and learning and boot camps, those are really helpful. And I will, when I started learning at bigger pockets, bigger pockets always said that you don't have to have a coach, you don't have to attend any boot camps and everything. But I, when I got out of that mindset, I said, no, I, I got to go check out some boot camps. It doesn't matter if I have to spend some money. And I realized that I learned a lot. I got motivated a lot. And also, then I was holding myself accountable to do something. So it's uh, before that, it was free flow. So whatever I could do, if I got a deal, I would go ahead and 
make an appointment, go look at that deal and end, end up there. But I think these things help, these Facebook groups, these uh, masterminds, these boot camps, they, all these uh, real estate multifamily events, all of them help. Got it. So it helps in terms of uh, giving you some guidance to move ahead, or give you some motivation, or how does it, or give it, you some knowledge or context. So as long as as long as you have knowledge, you you feel very comfortable doing something. If you got it. Yeah. If you if you get out of your comfort zone and and have knowledge, and once you have the knowledge, you feel very comfortable doing anything. If got you it. don't have knowledge, you always in fear you got scared oh what if i do this wrong what if i can't raise the money what if i so there's a lot of questions once you have the knowledge you know that you will be able to do this if you have a good deal the money will come and i i hear a lot of people saying here on facebook as well that a lot of people say that if you have a deal money will come we have a deal but we can't raise the money so that means something is wrong with your deal not really, especially on this market cycle, right? Where there's yeah. a lot of capital chasing the small number of deals, the, the true deals, right? I mean, there are a lot of deals, but most deals are, you know, 98% of the deals doesn't really uh, underwrite well as what it used to be, right? I mean, exactly. you can... I, I, I was looking at underwriting yesterday. This property had, but since 2015, the occupancy is 60,000 and all of a sudden now it's on sale. It's at 90%. I looked at the co-star report. I said, what? Within the last three months, it went up to from 60% to 90%. I, I looked at uh, this deal uh, yesterday. And uh, since 2015, I looked at the co-star report. And since 2015, uh, the occupancy was at 60%. And mm -hmm. in the last four months, it went from 60 to 90% because now it's on sale. On sale, yeah, correct, correct. You have to be very, very careful about this kind of deals. I mean, unless it's an experienced operator, you you are ready to go and turn it around. Otherwise, it's just going to be yeah difficult and, to once you take over, right? And I think uh, they already offered a little bit more money, but now the broker wants them to raise their price. I said, don't even raise a penny. Whatever you have offered is already on the higher side and but a lot of times they want that kind of money and mm. they can get because somebody else will pay and i told i told this guy that somebody else will pay more but they're going to be in trouble correct correct i mean market is saving a lot of people out there right now right I mean, yep. a lot of people have overpaid in deals and made a lot of uh, mistakes in the underwriting but market has been saving a lot of them for the past nine years right i mean rising tide raise all ships right so it's okay to make mistakes now but it may not be okay when the market turn right because now you know yeah you will see who's uh who's in trouble once the tide uh, come down right so you have to be very very careful right now the market is at its peak now turning to slow down so it, it people should be very careful got and, it got it and they should do their sensitivity analysis as well do the stress testing on their deals to make sure that they will survive if the market softens a little bit got it got it got it so kk can you is there any proud moment in your life uh, in your business life uh, that you think you cannot forget that's going to be you know that if you really think 
you know, in the next 10 years, one proud moment that you think that, you know, you're always really proud that you did something? I think I have been always proud of what I did because I do my homework before I do anything. I'd, I'd spend a lot of time researching. When I built a laundromat, I'd, I'd spent about a year the same way. And I'm very proud that I spent that time and I'm making a lot of money on that laundromat and it's a very successful business. Got it. So you do, I mean, you're proud that you're doing a lot of research before you entering into a new venture, right? So Correct. Correct. Got it. Got it. And um, if you want to let our audience know how to find you. Um, oh, I'm very easy to find. <laughs> they can go to Facebook and uh, I have a Facebook group, 10X Multifamily Investment Group. And we have a little over 3,000 uh, members in about six months. I think we started the group at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I started, started slightly about, late, but you have, you're slightly ahead of uh, our group right now. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and uh, that's where they can find me. They can ask me questions. And every Tuesday, I have a Zoom call uh, where they can come and join us and learn something, network, and uh, they can um, ask me questions as well, face-to-face every Tuesday, 9 o'clock Eastern time. And the Zoom link is always in the 10Rex Facebook group. And then they can reach me through our website as well, growrichcapital.com. Or they can call me uh, on my cell phone, 260-341-1964. All right. Sounds good. Um, so KK, thanks for coming for the show. You add a lot of value. I like to, I mean, I, I think I really found a lot of nuggets because you, know, you moved uh, from different, different businesses to multifamily. I think that would be very helpful because a lot of listeners could be doing other businesses and always wonder why not that business? Why not this business? Right. And then why multifamily? So you, I think you summarize it pretty well. And I think you, I think I did get a golden nugget of, uh, I mean, a few golden nuggets when you move from passive to active, right. And uh, how that, that transition worked out and your thought process when you go through that whole process. So, Appreciate you coming on board. Uh, thanks for coming. And that's it. Thank you very much for having me, James. You're most welcome. Thanks, KK. Love to be back on your show again sometimes when, I'm a, bigger, when I'm a bigger syndicator. <laughs> you are a big syndicator. <laughs> thanks, KK. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.